The Russian Revolution is a mystery to most people from the West and even people who lived through its aftermath from the East. You will find that talking to Russians about the Soviet Union is pretty difficult because of the rape, starvation, slavery, and intense brainwashing that the Russians went through after almost 30 years of war. It's the exact same thing when trying to talk to Germans about Nazi Germany. It's almost impossible for very similar reasons. The brutality and torture that both the Germans and Russians experienced, followed by the re-education processes, it will make perfect sense to you why it's such a difficult topic and why they are so surprised and confrontational when they hear someone arguing the opposite of what they learned in school. Germans actually had to go through an intense denazification process after they were tortured, raped, and starved, and the Russians went through something similar. They were also told how evil they treated the Jews, and they were made to feel guilty as anti-Semitism became illegal after the Jews had destroyed and conquered their countries. Now Aristotle said, give me the child until he is seven and I will show you the man. This is what we're dealing with, a century of Jewish communist brainwashing. Now, you might meet one out of ten Russians who will say life was great under the Soviet Union, but that's comparing it to Eastern Europe today, which is a mess. It's not comparing it to life under the Tsar. Through this series, I'm going to show you how the Russians under the Tsar were becoming one of the most prosperous people as Russia stood to become the new world power, having the largest gold supply in the world and a gold-backed currency with high-paying salaries for the average Russian. The Tsar's rapidly expanding railroad projects into Asia threatened to weaken England's naval trade, and if the revolution never happened, the Allied Entente would have been forced to give Russia Constantinople and the Bosphorus and Dardanelles, as promised in the Constantinople Agreement, which would have made Christian Russia unbelievably powerful. Now, through deconstructing the Russian Revolution, we can begin to make more sense of both World War I and World War II, which will help us understand our world today. I feel that it's up to us in the Western world to re-examine history and give a voice to those in Europe, as it seems like North America and Western Europe will soon experience everything that Eastern Europe and Germany experienced, but with a Muslim-Asian twist. That is, unless the European nations can wake up soon and return to their ancestral foundations. Now, the Russian Revolution is a misleading title because it was really about destroying Russia and replacing its leadership with non-Russians. When we examine who led the revolution, who financed the revolution, and who was responsible for orchestrating the public into fighting the revolution, we see that almost 85% of the leaders were Jewish, as well as the financers all came from Jewish families. And let's be honest, the Jews ruling the world don't work alone. They work very closely with a small percentage of non-Jews, who are generally part of some kind of secret society based on Jewish mysticism, like Freemasonry. Jews might be at the head, but the non-Jews are just as guilty, if not more guilty, because they are betraying their own people for material goods. This is why Hitler banned both Judaism and Freemasonry from Germany. Even the Americans banned Freemasonry and had a political party called the Anti-Masonic Party. One of the first Masonic lodges founded in the United States was founded by Moses Michael Hayes, so it's no secret that the Jews are behind Freemasonry. 
But the truth is the psychopath Jews would have zero power if they didn't have their non-Jewish arm, the traitors in our society. So to celebrate the 100 year anniversary of the Jewish revolution in Russia, we're going to look at key moments in history leading up to the revolution and examine all the people our history books love to leave out. So in this series, we're going to cover a brief history of how the Jews came into Russia and focus on the last 300 years of Russian Jewish history. Part one will cover the origin of the Jews in Russia and we'll stop at Ivan the Terrible. We'll continue in part two with the Romanov dynasty and the Jewish Masonic Revolution known as the Decembrist Revolution that mirrored the French Revolution. So let's follow the timeline of the Jews in Russia. Now because the Russian Revolution is directly linked with Jews returning to Palestine after almost 2,000 years since their exile, we have to look at the Balfour Declaration, which was signed November 2nd, 1917. The October Revolution would start five days later on November 7th, or October 25th, according to the old Russian Orthodox calendar, hence why it's called the October Revolution. This is important because the Jewish Rothschilds were known for hating the Tsar and the Christian Russians, as they had been funding all the wars against them previous to the revolution. Now I hate having to talk about the Rothschild banking family so much, but they were and still are the most powerful bankers in the world, and they stood to lose a lot of power if the Tsar wasn't destroyed. So we're going to begin with a very basic crash course on the Jewish exile from Palestine or Judea between 70 AD and 135 AD and look at how they ended up in Russia. So we're going to begin by showing that the Jews lost their homeland and temple by massacring Christians, revolting against their empire, corrupt banking practices, and corrupting religion only to take back their country almost 2,000 years later with the hopes of rebuilding their temple by massacring Christians, revolting against their empire, corrupt banking practices, and corrupting religion. So it's very important to make this connection and show you that this is in fact a 2,000-year-old rivalry between Jews and Christians. World War II, for instance, was really Christian Europe fighting Jewish Bolshevism. No matter what your high school teacher tries to tell you, this is what it was about. It was Talmudic Jews and bankers controlling the Western world who had built an army of forcefully converted atheists in Russia. The Jews wanted to take control over Germany who had just removed all the Jews from power. This is why the Germans used an Aryan grammatic cross, or a swastika as their flag, and had the words God with us written on their belt buckles, as they reopened all the Christian churches that the Jewish Soviets had shut down. Now the Jews in Judea back in 70 AD also revolted over cultural changes. It's a lot like today. You have the ultra-religious groups who are opposed to westernization, while a lot of the Jews in Israel are very western and don't agree with the religious Jews. This was the case 2,000 years ago when there was a clash of Hellenized, Romanized Jews, so western Jews, versus the more religious eastern Jews. This can be viewed as the Sadducees versus the Pharisees. These were like two political factions, two political groups. The Sadducees only believed in ruling the nation according to the Torah, the first five books in the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, uh, the five books of Moses. 
while the Pharisees taught the oral law, which today we call the Talmud or the Talmud. The Talmud is really rabbis interpreting to you what they think the Bible says. And there's some pretty disturbing stuff in the Talmud. So the Sadducees were kind of like an agnostic atheist group. They didn't believe in an afterlife and they really only cared about traditions and culture. But they welcomed Roman technology and Roman culture at the same time. And this is majority of the Jews today. They don't really care about the God of the Bible or religion or the afterlife. They are culturally and racially Jewish. They consider themselves secular Jews, not religious. They're more agnostic or spiritual. So we can look at Zionism as the transformation of Jews from religion back to race. The Jews survived without a homeland because they were also a religion. Now, my agnostic Israeli friends will often laugh at me for believing in the Bible. Even my rabbi laughed at me for believing in Moses. While these people use the Bible that they don't believe in as the reason as to why the Jews own Palestine and have a right to be there. Think about that. So the last time the Jews ruled in Palestine was in 70 AD. The Jews launched three major rebellions, one in 66 AD, another in 115 AD, where they massacred entire villages of Roman Greeks who were converting to Christianity, causing the deaths of about half a million men, women, and children. And their final rebellion was in 132 AD. So after God had blessed his chosen people with three crushing defeats, they had to flee to Babylon or modern day Iraq where they finished compiling their new Talmudic religion known as Judaism. So please understand that the Bible is not written by Jews, nor is it fully about Jews. The Old Testament is about people called Israelites. The Jews are just one tribe of the Israelites. But thanks to our corrupt churches today, the Jews have managed to convince the world that the Old Testament is completely about Jews. The Jews founded the Talmud and it shouldn't be mixed with the Old Testament. So Talmudic Judaism begins to make its push into Europe through North Africa. These Jews are known as Sephardic Jews or Spanish Jews. The Jews who stayed in the Middle East and parts of North Africa, they're known as Mizrahi Jews. But the Jews who settled in Europe are known as Ashkenazi Jews, and this is the group we're going to focus on. Now, we do have some Roman records that the Jews have been in Europe since before the Romans conquered the Greek world. We have some Jewish records, and the Bible agrees with it as well. We also have records of them being expelled from Rome in 139 BC. But this big push into Russia happened when a group of Khazars, Turkish nomads, took Judaism as their religion. So there is a Jewish Khazar mixing. The Khazar tribes were being pressured to take either Islam or Christianity as their religion, but some of them settled for Judaism. Now some people call them fake Jews, but I just consider them a mix. These Jews have preserved the culture, language, and traditions of the Pharisees so well, and they have managed to take back Jerusalem after all this time. I don't believe fake Jews would care this much. These are crimes of passion, revenge. This is actually unbelievable when you stop and think about what these Jews have accomplished. They have not only survived and preserved their culture, language, and traditions, but they have managed to enslave the world through the shadows almost completely undetected. 
So I refuse to give the credit to Turkish nomads who have no connection to Judaism or Jerusalem. I consider what's happening today very biblical, as the Jews are forcing the world to look back to Jerusalem. So you better read the Bible and the Quran and maybe study the Talmud if you want to know what you're talking about. You can't begin to understand the conflict in the world today unless we talk about the two things we were told never to talk about at the dinner table, and that's politics and religion. Now, the Russian elite, like the English and the French, come from northern Germanic people, the Vikings from Scandinavia. Saint Vladimir the Great would be known as the man who turned Russia Christian. So two points I want to make. Number one, the Jewish-Christian conflict started before the Jews lost their land and temple. Number two, as Russia was becoming Christian, we have these Turkish Khazars mixing with the Jews and adopting Judaism. And this is where the Russian-Jewish conflict begins. Now, in the late 10th century, when Vladimir the Great, the ruler of Russia, was choosing a religion for the Russian people, he found that Islam was too restricting, as it forced circumcision and forbade alcohol and eating pork. However, the Jews presented Judaism to them as well, and this is what was said. After having listened to the Jews, Vladimir asked, Where is their fatherland? In Jerusalem, said the preachers, but the Lord in his anger dissipated us in foreign lands. And you who are punished by God, dare to teach others, said Vladimir. We do not want to lose our fatherland like you have. You have to appreciate the point Vladimir is making. If you were to look at this spiritually and through the eyes of religion, the Jews obviously did something very wrong that pissed off their God and caused them to be homeless. Ironically, this all happened after they murdered Jesus and his disciples, and after they revolted against Rome. So Christianity was the most convenient religion for the Russians, which brings us to Ivan the Terrible in the 16th century. Now, Ivan the Terrible, or Ivan the Fearless, depending which way you want to look at him, was the Tsar of Russia from 1547 to 1584, and he did not tolerate the Jews at all. He was known as the anti-Jew. Here's an example. When Ivan conquered the city of Polotsk, he forced the Jews to convert to Christianity or die. Those who refused were either drowned in ice water or burned at the stake. This included children. He killed about 300 Jews on that day. Jewish sources say the number was closer to 3,000 dead, but the Jews have a habit of over-exaggerating their numbers. So Ivan was ruthless to the Jews, and I want to point out that all of this is not very Christian. He may think he's doing the right thing, but the Bible doesn't teach this, and forcing people to convert to a religion is never a good idea, especially when it comes to Jews. Jews are very clever. A good example is in the 1400s and the early 1500s in Spain. The Spanish had a serious problem with Jews, very similar to the Russians. In March 1492, there was an edict of expulsion against the Jews, forcing them out of Spain. They also had the Spanish Inquisition, where the first Grand Inquisitor, Tomas de Tarkmada, was a crypto-Jew, torturing and killing Christians in the name of Jesus for various religious views. His uncle was a cardinal in Rome, and about the same time, in August 1492, we had the rise of Pope Alexander VI. 
the famous Borgia. He was what they called a Murano, a crypto-Jew from Spain, according to his rival, Cardinal Della Rova, later Pope Julius II. The Borgias allowed many of the expelled Jews from Spain to settle in Rome, the heart of Christianity, and the Vatican would become completely corrupted, hypersexualized, and anti-Christian. At the same time, the Medici banking family, who were engaging in usury and enslaving the people with debt, had an extremely close relationship with the Jews of Europe. Now, back then, the rule was Christians couldn't lend money with interest, but Jews could. So if you didn't have a leader or a king restricting the Jews from practicing this, the Jews had a serious advantage over Christians, and Jews loved bribing leaders to allow them to practice their religion. The law in the Old Testament hints that you can lend interest to strangers or foreigners and not your brothers. This is written by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, but this is something Jesus completely forbids. So it was stuff like this that caused the rise of Martin Luther and divided the church, causing the rise of the Protestant Reformation to fight the Catholic corruption that peaked as the Jews were becoming Christians. So there's a lot of reasons why the Tsar didn't like Jews. They just seemed to bring division, debt, and chaos everywhere they went. In fact, Ivan hated the Jews so much that he refused to let Jewish traders even enter his country. Poland was a country dominated by Jews, and there was a time when Ivan the Fearless had a group of Polish Jewish traders arrested and their goods seized. And this is what was said between the King of Poland and Ivan the Fearless. You do not let our Jewish tradesmen with their goods into your country. Some were arrested and their goods were seized at your orders. However, our peace agreements state that our tradesmen can come with goods into your country and you can come into my country and we follow these agreements. Ivan responded, We have written to you many times about this, letting you know about the awful things the Jews do in my country, making people abandon Christianity, bringing poisonous potions to our land, causing a lot of trouble to our people. We cannot allow the Jews to come into our country, for we do not want to see any trouble here. On the contrary, we want God to let my people in my country to live in peace without any trouble. And you, our brother, must never again write to us about the Jews. So while Ivan is known as the terrible, he had good intentions. He understood the dangerous mentality of the Jews, who aren't loyal to their host nation and its people, as they are known for undermining the very people who were nice enough to give them a chance to live amongst them in peace. It really is amazing how we've all been conditioned by the Jewish media to hate the Christian system that made us the most prosperous nations in history. And by rejecting our ancestral foundations, we have replaced it with a Jewish system of usury, debt, and slavery. So make no mistake, we are slaves to bankers. Now, it doesn't matter if you believe in God or that Jesus walked on water or not. What's important is that you believe in the morals and the values taught by Jesus, which the Jews despise. This is what Jesus said, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. 
Jesus rose up against the Jewish bankers. He taught children to respect their parents and the elderly. Jesus said to husbands, love your wives and give your lives for them. Wives, honor your husbands. Parents, raise your children. Help those less fortunate than you. Love your neighbors as you would yourself. Show mercy to your enemies because some of your strongest friendships will come from people you once considered your enemies. And the greatest thing a man can do is sacrifice his life to save a friend. This is the example that Jesus set as he destroyed the Jewish system. This was the system Ivan the Terrible was trying to protect from the Jews. Again, you don't have to believe in Jesus, but I challenge any of you to deny his principles and show me a system that has achieved more for mankind than European Christianity. Christianity does not teach us to be a doormat and let people walk all over us. The New Testament does not teach us to be weak. It's the opposite. Jesus does not teach us to forgive child rapists and murderers, and the Apostle Paul makes it clear. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. So just because Jesus saved a woman from being stoned to death for cheating on her husband, it doesn't mean we have to forgive grown men when they commit serious crimes. Paul has no problem being put to death if he is guilty of something worthy of it. Politicians committing treason against its people, murderers, serial rapists, and so forth, they should not be welcome in Western societies. So please don't think that the Bible teaches that we should be forgiving child-raping pedophiles like our Jewish-dominated court system does. Look at what Jesus said he would do to someone who offended a Christian child, and you tell me if Jesus wouldn't have a child rapist killed. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. In part two, we will begin with the Romanovs and go over the Jewish Masonic revolt known as the Decembrist Revolution of 1825.